0: Well, now that you've all heard the sermon, I guess we can all go home. That, that, that's, that's about the extent of it this morning. Um, um, I'll, I'll maybe say a few more words about it yet, but the heart of it is, is what I just shared, that uh, in everything and, and in all circumstances, we are, we are called, in fact, we are commanded to, to have thankful hearts, to say thanks, but how much more to, to our Lord Jesus for what he's done for us. And so we need to remember and focus on that this morning. And I want to again just say a happy Thanksgiving to one and all. And I also want to recognize this morning that with all of the very poor weather we've been having um, and recognizing that there are those of you here today with crops still in the field, it may have a slightly different feel this Thanksgiving than some previous years have. Um, I believe it was last Thanksgiving where... I think all the crops were in the bin, and it was one of the biggest bumper crops we've had in a very, very long time, and maybe that one, it was a little easier to be thankful than maybe today if you've got a lot of crops under soggy snow. But this is where, again, God desires us to go deeper, to not just be thankful because of our circumstances and and blessings like a good harvest, but go deeper and be thankful for the spiritual blessings. And so now, having said all of that, speaking of the weather, um, I found an old uh, weather forecast that, that, lo and behold, applies once again today. So I want to share it with you one more time, and uh, please take this under careful consideration as you go about your Thanksgiving festivities. A turkey thaw which began late last night or early this morning is moving into the area. It will warm in the oven to an afternoon high near 200 degrees. The kitchen will turn hot and humid. If you bother the cook, be ready for a severe squall or cold shoulder. During the late afternoon, the cold front of a knife will slice through the turkey, causing an accumulation of one to two inches of the white stuff to gather on your plates. An advisory has been given for all plates and surrounding area to watch out for mashed potatoes that will drift across one side, while heap stuffing may reduce visibility to the turkey. Also, cranberry sauce may cause slippery sections. Please pass the gravy. Weight watch and indigestion warnings have also been issued for the entire region with increased stuffiness around the Beltway with a 75% chance of increased drowsiness, resulting in a third-quarter matto <laughs> Into the evening, the turkey will diminish and taper off to leftovers, dropping to a low of 4 degrees in the refrigerator. Looking ahead into the week... High pressure to eat turkey sandwiches will be established. Flurries of leftovers can be expected for the next few days with a 50% chance of scattered soup later in the week. We expect a warming trend where soup develops. By early next week, eating pressure will be low as the only wish left will be the bone. This has been your Thanksgiving forecast. Please remember to eat responsibly. Now, I recognize that there is a danger in in sharing this at the beginning of a a sermon right before we're looking ahead to all of that, and you may have started salivating at that forecast, so uh, please hang with me, because I promise I will have you out of here well before Thanksgiving Monday. (laughs) So would you bow with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that today uh, we come together as your family uh, and we experience genuine warmth and joy um, in the presence of these dear brothers and sisters, but most importantly, because your presence is here. We have gathered because of your grace, and, and in you, Lord, we find joy. We find joy that overcomes sorrow and even the worst of our circumstances. And so we thank you, Father, that in you we have such a living hope, and that in you we find that, that great mystery of having joy and hope that transcends our circumstances, that whether we are in plenty or whether we are in need, we come to you with thankful hearts today. And so thank you so much for everything you've done for us. And now, Lord, as we look into your word and this example of this incredible story uh, of you bringing healing to these ten men, Lord Jesus, I pray that you will speak through me, your servant, and speak to each one of our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So now this morning, as we've just thought and talked a lot about food, I I want us to think a little bit further along that line for a moment. Because the truth of the matter is that as difficult as it would be, if we absolutely had to, almost every last one of us present here today could make it until tomorrow night's supper without eating anything in between and not be any worse for it. Now, you're probably looking at me and thinking, I'm probably the exception to that. Um, But I promise you, I have enough rocks in my pockets that I could probably keep myself from blowing away. But, But the reality is... We are so well-nourished, we have so much food, that for any one of us to go 24 or 36 hours or even 48 hours without food, yeah, we'd be hungry, yeah, our stomachs would be, be growling and we'd, we'd say, I'm starving, but the reality is, as far as life-threatening goes, we wouldn't even be close yet. We would be just fine. And all of us, every last one of us, has more than enough food to eat, and as we think about how well nourished each one of us is and how much food is waiting for us over the next 36 hours, let's just pause and think for a moment that two-thirds of the world, two-thirds of the world is not even close to being able to say that. Not even close. Two-thirds of the world We sit here and we take it for granted because we're all more or less in the same boat. Yes, to some degree, some some will have have much more you know lavishness than others, but there's not one of us who is not going to eat well today, and chances are the rest of the week. Now, as we think about that, I throw that out there just for us to register how much plenty we have here in this land. In fact, we have so much plenty that we have the liberty to throw it away. There's a study that was done at the University of Arizona in 2004, and the, the uh, lead uh, uh, investigator of this study by the name of Jeff Harrison, this was his concluding report following the study. As they sit down to their Thanksgiving Day dinner, many Americans will marvel at the cornucopia of food on their table. What many don't think about is how much food is wasted, not just on Thanksgiving, but every day. From the beginning of harvest to the scraps tossed in the garbage can. Mounting new evidence, in fact, shows just how wasteful the nation is with its bounty. America has long been the poster child for the throwaway society. And researchers have known for years about the volumes of food Americans toss into the trash. Only recently, though, has that been quantified as a percentage of what is produced. A staggering 40-50% to 50% of all food ready for harvest never gets eaten. And on average, households will waste 14% of all of their food purchases. Now, this was an American study, but I think we can be fairly safe in assuming those numbers are very similar here in Canada. And when you hear them, that of all the food produced, 40 to 50% of it never gets eaten, that's a little bit staggering, isn't it? It's staggering to think of, especially, you know, us here as an ag-based uh, community and many of us directly involved in producing food, it's staggering to think of, of how much is wasted. And we always know in the back of our minds that, that we here in Canada are wealthy, and we know that we have much to be thankful for, and so at Thanksgiving, we do thank God for blessing us with this prosperous nation and with an abundance of food. But I've come to realize that so often we aren't truly thankful enough. And the reason I say that is because I believe the true definition of being thankful is not what we say, but more what we do. And I think if we want to truly be able to gauge how thankful a person is, or if you want to be able to look at yourself and have a a question for reflection this morning, how thankful am I, truly, how thankful am I? We can begin by asking this question, how often do I take my blessings for granted? How often? You see, quite simply, the true definition of being thankful is simply in being consistently appreciative of what you've been given every day, being thankful for what you have been given. But if you're anything like me, you know that this can be a difficult thing to do on a day-to-day and consistent basis. And I know for myself, I, yes, am guilty of often taking for granted that I have more than enough food to eat. And then, not just food, but countless other blessings that can all be traced back to the giver of all good things. Now, so far, I've just been referring to physical blessings. But then we get into spiritual blessings. The gift of salvation, answered prayer, strength for trials, comfort during sorrows, spiritual insight wisdom to share, meaning for this life, and hope for the next. These are all spiritual blessings. And how often do I, as we were encouraged in the song, count these blessings, name them one by one? So often we fail to do that. And I have to admit, I fail to remember so often. Maybe some of you can identify. And so now when Thanksgiving rolls around and we put the spotlight on doing just this, being thankful, we're reminded of just how much we have to be thankful for. And we had a great demonstration of that this morning from all of your testimonies, from everyone who shared of something they're thankful for and God's blessings. And and I love it. It's so great to hear. However, as great as it is to be thankful one or two days out of the year as we put the spotlight on it at Thanksgiving, again... As many times in the past, God has been impressing on my heart this challenge. What about the rest of the year? What about, you know, all of those 364 days outside of Thanksgiving Sunday? What about them? Can you cultivate an attitude of thanksgiving, an attitude of gratefulness every day of your life? Can can we learn to live in a true spirit of thankfulness by continually living in appreciation and not taking our blessings for granted? trying to daily remember that we owe all of these things to God, the giver of every good and perfect gift. And I believe that this is how God wants us to live. Because the end result of learning to think and live this way is that it will begin to change our attitudes, which will begin to change our actions. Because our hearts and and our attitudes, if they are cultivated to ones of gratitude, This begins to cultivate us in a desire to respond in thankfulness to the giver of the gift and then to also pass the blessing along to others. This is God's grand scheme for the world is always and has always been from from Adam and Eve right on to Abraham is that he blesses in order for the recipient to become a blessing. So we are in a position of being blessed in order that we may sit back on the couch, watch football, eat all this food and throw the rest in the garbage can? Is that what we've been blessed for? Did I get your attention on that one? Is that what we've been blessed for? No, it's not. We have been blessed so that we can take that that bountiful excess and begin to bless others. That not just in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm, we have been given so much. God wants us to be grateful in receiving, but also grateful and ready to pass along this, this great blessing from him. And we see this principle acted out in the account given to us in Luke 17. So I invite you to turn there with me this morning uh, once more. Luke chapter 17, and there are the story from verses 11 to 19. Jesus healing ten men from the disease of leprosy. Now to give you a little bit of context for this story... As many of you may already know, having leprosy in that time made you a complete outcast of society. Because of the contagious nature of the disease, anyone having it was banished from ever having contact with another healthy person ever again. Now, in this case, you were forced to live on the outskirts of society, and they would form what were known as leper colonies where the the lepers simply, the only contact they could have with others was others with leprosy, as we saw in the video. The ten men band together. But they cannot come in in physical contact with anyone healthy, nor can they even come within barely shouting distance. And so the Jews had a series of very, very strict laws that required anyone with leprosy to keep their distance from anyone else. I, I believe it was basically shouting distance was the rule. And it required that as they traveled anywhere, if they could be coming in contact with anyone who was healthy, they would have to call out the words, unclean, unclean. And in, and in Hebrew, that is pronounced taomei, taomei. And so those men would have shouted the words taomei, taomei, countless times in their lives. Thousands of times, tens of thousands of times, they will have shouted those dreaded words, and anyone who would have heard them would have instantly known, these are lepers, steer clear. Stay away, we want nothing to do with these men. To add another layer to make sure that people could recognize them from a great distance, the law required that they had to grow their hair long, they had to grow their beards out, they had to have it always unkempt, and they had to wear torn clothing, so that people could recognize them from a distance. So, not only were lepers considered physically sick and, and just outcasts of society, the Jews also viewed leprosy as a judgment upon sin. And so, anyone who had leprosy, it wasn't just, oh, poor them that they got leprosy, it was, huh, I wonder what he did to deserve that judgment. And so, there was a, in every way you could possibly think of, there was complete. Condemnation, complete aversion, complete disdain for anyone with leprosy. And so with with that in mind, I I want you to think about these ten men that way, the way that the people of his day, the way that Jesus' disciples would have viewed these men. Instant aversion, instant disdain. And so here we pick up the story in verse 11. Jesus and his disciples are traveling south along the border between Samaria and Galilee. They're headed towards Jerusalem the road is dusty and hot as always. The disciples are probably good and ready for a water stop, and they're in luck. There's a village ahead. As they near the village, however, they see this group of men staying a fair distance back from the road, and the disciples, accustomed to the sight, probably saw that these men had the look. They were lepers. And sure enough, as they drew within shouting distance and the other people ahead of them likely would have passed by very far on the other side of the road, they will have heard the words, Taomei, Taomei, unclean. The disciples would have heard that. They would have looked at them and without even saying a thing inside, they would have been thinking, lepers, disgusting creatures, open, festering sores covering their bodies. Flies will have been buzzing around them. And subconsciously, from years of conditioning, I'm sure the disciples picked up their pace to pass them by as quickly as possible on the other side of the road. And as they're doing that, as they are hurrying to get away as quickly as possible, something very strange happens. Jesus is walking closer to the men. Jesus is slowing down. And then they hear the lepers calling out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Have pity. Can you hear the desperation in their voices? These men, I remind you, have lost everything. They have lost their health, their jobs, their families, their friends. They are outcasts of society with absolutely no hope whatsoever. In fact, In that time, one of the the prescriptions of the law was that if if a man and these ten men were married, of course they wouldn't be able to stay together with their wife. And so the law allowed that a short time after the man would have left for for the leper colony, they will have even had a funeral for him in the village. They will have had a funeral for him, even though he was still alive, they counted him as dead, and this now released his wife that she could remarry. This was, was how serious this was, that these were dead men walking. According to everyone else, they no longer existed. So hear the desperation in their voices. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Earlier in Jesus' ministry, we read in Luke chapter 5 that he had healed a man from leprosy. And as a result of the miracle, we're told that news about Jesus and his incredible power to heal had spread throughout the countryside. And so undoubtedly, these ten lepers had heard that story. They had heard the news, and they wondered to themselves, could it be true? Could there be a man capable of healing us? It sounded too good to be true, but what did they have to lose by trying? They had lost it all already. So for them to go out of their way to find Jesus and then call out to him, they had nothing to lose. And so when they heard that Jesus was coming towards their town, they sat, I'm sure, on the side of that road, watching and waiting, probably for hours, possibly for days, making sure they would not miss the moment when Jesus passed by. And when that moment finally arrives, they call out with one voice, it says, a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And this plea to the Lord is not a new one nor is it a plea reserved only for lepers, is it? I believe that every single person, every single soul that has ever existed needs to realize that they need Jesus just as desperately as those ten leprous men did. Every last one of us needs to reach that place where we recognize our position that we are hopeless, we are helpless, we we can do nothing to save ourselves, and we cry out, Jesus, Master, have pity on me. Save me. And the psalmist realized this need. In Psalm 116, we find this song of thanksgiving. And in fact, when one looks at the details of the psalm, it almost sounds as though it was written by one of these leprous men. In Psalm 116, verses 3 to 4, we read this. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, save me. Doesn't that sound just like those ten men? One foot in the grave. The cords of death entangled me. Dead men walking. Overcome by their trouble and their sorrows. And in a desperate last attempt... They call out to Jesus, "Have pity on us." And now let's listen to Jesus' reply, verse 14. When he saw them, he said, "Go show yourselves to the priests." Now this reply seems very strange to us. First of all, because there's no mention of healing, and what's up with sending them to the priests anyways? Well, in answer, as I referenced earlier, during that time, according to the Jewish law, the only ones who could declare a leper healed and give them a clean bill of health to rejoin society, the only ones who were allowed to do that was the priest. And so it almost seems like these men are crying out. They haven't even said, you know, heal us. They're just saying, have pity on us. Look at us in our misery. Have pity and it almost seems like Jesus looks at the men and he just puts the cart way in front of the horse. He hasn't even healed them yet. And he says, now go show yourself to the doctor. Right? That's what he's saying. Go show yourself to the doctor. Now, think about that for a moment. Put it in a modern context. Someone has terrible cancer. You know, they've got a, they've got a week left to live. And they say, Jesus, have mercy on me. And he says, go back to the doctor. Show yourself to him. He's going to tell you, you know, he doesn't even say it. He's going to tell you you're, you're healed but he's saying, just just go there. Get checked out. And now we're not exactly sure why Jesus decided to do it this way, but I have a theory. You see, there was no argument from the men, which is interesting. You would think the men would say, well, we're going to go show ourselves to the priest, but look at us. Look at us. Right? But there's no argument. And that shows us something about the men's attitude and their faith. Because all we read is that immediately they obey Jesus' instructions and they head off to find the priests. And it seems to me that in this action, Jesus was testing their faith. Did they have enough faith to believe and obey what he told them to do? And it appears very clearly in the text that they did. They believed Jesus' command strongly enough that with whatever mustard seed of faith they had to start walking off to find the priests at the synagogue, that was enough. And we know what happened next. Last part of verse 14. As they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. I love how this is faith in action, which resulted in healing. Faith in action, which resulted in healing. So often... We sit static, paralyzed, saying, God, do something to fix my circumstances. Do something to to fix my situation. Do something to heal me. And we sit there, like a bump on a log. But if God has in any way indicated to us, I want you to now take a step of faith, believing that I'm going to do something for you, even before I've done it, I believe we have to take that step before that power is going to be revealed. If we just sit there like a bump in a log, he says, take a step of faith, but you're saying, no, I want you to do it first. We're not going to see it. But like these ten men, if we take a step of faith, we start acting in belief that God is going to do something. Watch what happens. As they were going, they are healed. I wonder what happened. If it was all at the same time, all ten men simultaneously, that's what I envision. I wonder if it was a gradual, all of a sudden one, then the other, and they're like, what's going on? I, 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 just, I try to picture it in my mind's eye because it would have been so surreal, so spectacular. I wonder which of the men noticed it first. Hey, check it out. And everyone else doing the same thing. Can you imagine the hooting and the hollering that was happening on the road that day? The, the, the embracing and the high fives this is a, just a scene of utter surreal jubilation. And these ten filthy lepers with bubbling sores and possibly even missing hunks of flesh, ten outcasts of society, who even as they were traveling in obedience to Jesus would have still, out of force of habit, been calling out to passersby, Taomei, unclean. And suddenly they're, they're looking down at their hands and their arms, they're looking at each other's faces, and they can't believe it. Their skin looks like they've been using oil of Olay twice a day. You know, they're they're glowing, they're healthy. They're, They're jumping up and down, they're laughing, they're jubilant, and most of them are so excited that they, yes, now are running to find the priests to get that clean bill of health so that they can go home to their families. But in verse 15 we read this. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, Were not all ten men cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? What a pointed question. Where are the other nine? Where are they? Were not all ten men cleansed? Why only one returned to thank Jesus? One man gave these following nine suggestions suggestions as to why the other nine did not return. One waited to see if the cure was real. One wished that he had done it sooner. One said he would thank Jesus later. One decided that he had never had leprosy. One said, it was a coincidence. It would have happened anyway. One said, I give the credit to the priests. One said, oh well, Jesus didn't really do anything. One said, any rabbi could have done it. And one said, he knows I'm thankful. That's good enough. Well, whether these are the real reasons or not, we do know that Jesus was extremely disappointed that only one of them returned to express thanks. And to top it all off, Jesus points out the fact, and Luke makes it very clear that the one, the only one who came back, was a Samaritan. Now, you probably know this already, but Samaritans, they were looked down on by the Jews. So as if it wasn't bad enough for this man simply being a leper, he was a Samaritan leper. He wasn't even in the same category as scum of society. He he was the scum on the scum. He would have been considered such an outcast, such, like, you can't even begin to imagine the hatred, the animosity, the disdain that the good Jews had for Samaritans, let alone a Samaritan leprous man. Yet, he is the one man who came back and was thankful. What does that say? What does that say? You see, when we are truly thankful, it prompts a response. What do you have to be thankful for? And let me ask you, how will you respond? If we look back once more at Psalm 116, we read in verse 8, For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. We see here the response to God's goodness. To walk before him. And then we skip ahead and read in verse 12 that once again, he is thankful to God and he asks this question, how can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? And then in answer to that question he says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. And so here we see his response. The Samaritan man responded to Jesus' healing in verse 19 and he received this added blessing for going back to Jesus. Rise and go, your faith has made you well. The clear implication of this statement is that by returning to Jesus with a thankful heart, not only had this man received physical healing, But in this moment when Jesus says, your faith has made you well, this man receives spiritual healing. That Samaritan man left Jesus that day not just a physically changed man, but his soul had been changed. He had met Jesus, and when Jesus says, your faith has made you well, I believe that wellness is not just physical, because Jesus was always most concerned about the soul, about the salvation of the person. The outward is just the outward, but the inner, that is eternal. And so let me say that today, if you have received Jesus' healing in your life, if you have received that spiritual cleansing, and you can say like the psalmist, you have delivered my soul from death, then you have much, much, much to be thankful for. And so I ask again, how will you respond? How will you respond? Earlier we talked about how we have an abundance of food in our land, so much that on average we can waste 14% of all the food we buy. Now obviously this brings up a question of stewardship, but beyond that it brings up the glaring truth that 14% of the wasted food, if it were gathered in the United States and Canada, it would more than feed the rest of the two-thirds of the world that is going without. Just something to think about. Massive challenges. We have been blessed with an abundance, and I believe that true thankfulness necessitates a response in the practical sphere that we have a desire to try to feed the hungry. The most simple and basic command that the Lord Jesus, Jesus gave is to feed the hungry. And, and we, we start there, but we don't stop there. For as Christians, we have received an even greater blessing, the gift of salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, the hope of heaven. And what greater thing is there to be thankful for? And so in the same way, true thankfulness necessitates a response and will bring about in us a desire to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. We're just one healed leper telling another where to find the cure. If you're a healed leper here today, not of the skin disease, but of the soul, you can tell others where to find the great physician, where to find the cure, where to find hope. And so for today, I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't go and enjoy your Thanksgiving meal, but I do hope that you will have more than turkey to chew on and digest today. My hope is that you will discover the truth that we need to respond to all the blessings that we have received and live in thankfulness to God for the rest of the year, actively living out our thankfulness by being a blessing to others and always holding up the great hope of salvation who is in none other than Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today we simply and humbly acknowledge that without you, we are lost. We're not just a little bit lost. We're not just kind of out in the, in the dark or in the cold. No, we are utterly and eternally lost without you. But Jesus, because of you, because of your salvation, because of your healing for our souls, We are saved. We are healed. We are found in your family and in your kingdom for eternity. It is so incredible, Lord, how great this is. And so I pray that today of all days, as we reflect on being thankful, oh Lord, help us to never take that for granted. That this great and free gift of salvation, so freely given, you desire for us to so freely share You desire for us to respond with our lives in whatever opportunity, in whatever way you put in front of us, that we would respond in simple faith and obedience to go out and to bring this hope of healing to all of the countless people around us who have yet to receive your healing touch. And so, Father, today as we gather rightfully as thankful people, may it not end with us, but may it overflow into our response of action towards the world around us. For Lord, we have been given so much. Help us to share it as freely as you have shared it with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.